2019. Hundreds of people are gathered around the Idaho Capitol steps, bundled up in coats as their breath cuts through the chilly Boise air. Newly elected Republican Governor Brad Little addresses a crowd Thank of supporters you. from the dais. I will work to reflect our shared Idaho values and aspirations. This means making One of the very first things Governor Little does, one of the very first fights this governor decides to take on is to appeal Adri Edmo's legal case. When I took the oath of office, I swore to faithfully discharge my duties, to work for all Idahoans, and with God's help, I will. The appeal sends Adri's case to a higher court, the Ninth Circuit. Neither the governor or the Department of Correction or the prison's health care provider could do an interview about the pending litigation. But Governor Little did offer a statement. He said, quote, The hardworking taxpayers of Idaho should not be forced to pay for a prisoner's gender reassignment surgery when individual insurance plans won't even cover it. We are going to fact check that statement in a moment. But I guess what I want to note here is that I think it's interesting, but not surprising, that Brad Little came out swinging on this issue. This was a pretty safe move for a new Republican governor in conservative Idaho. I can't find a way to work my head around where the state should pay for this, in my mind, elective surgery. It is not the state's responsibility to change the gender or the anatomy in any way of a prisoner. It's a very expensive process. If that's something this person wants to do when their nine-year sentence is up, they should be the ones who are paying for it. I think she can get it done on her own when she gets out. But here's the thing. Public perception is really different than the arguments in Adri Edmo's case. We're going to parse through some of what you just heard later and get into the tension between opinion and the constitutional and medical standards at play here. But first, let's talk about the case. You're listening to Locked, a podcast from Boise State Public Radio and the Mountain West News Bureau. I'm Amanda Peacher. And I'm producer Frankie Barnhill. Adri Edmo's legal case is against the state of Idaho and Corizon, the private company that provides health care to Idaho inmates. Adri says she needs sex reassignment surgery, but the state argues she doesn't. If Adri Edmo wins, she'll be the first inmate to receive the surgery now known as gender confirmation surgery through a court order. A ruling in her favor could be huge. It could change the way transgender inmates like Adri are treated in prison. In 2012, Adri Edmo is diagnosed with gender dysphoria. That's the medical term for the overwhelming distress some trans people feel because their gender identity doesn't match the body they were born in. She's provided with hormone treatment while in prison, but she feels she needs more than that. So she starts filing health service requests with Corizon, the prison health care provider, and official grievances with the Idaho Department of Correction. Adri has a long list of complaints. February 2014, need sex reassignment surgery ASAP. March 2014, I am being denied access to medical care. April 2016, I am not being provided timely, adequate medical mental health care, specifically a medical mental health evaluation for the medical necessity prerequisite of sex reassignment surgery. She asked for women's undergarments, makeup, facial hair removal treatments, adjustments to her hormones, an ID card at the prison that lists her as a woman. Adri feels she's being ignored, so she sues. 
At this point, she gets legal representation. Her attorneys file an injunction. In other words, they ask a judge to consider Adri's needs right away. The judge agrees to immediate deliberation on the sex reassignment surgery request only. But it's worth noting here that all of Adri's grievances, from not being able to access makeup, to not getting medical care, to being denied the surgery, Adri is demonstrating a pattern. She is setting out to argue that the prison knows the kind of medical care she needs and is still denying it. There's a key phrase for that. Deliberate indifference. Deliberately indifferent. Deliberately indifferent. Deliberate indifference. To explain why that's important, we need to take you back to 1976. We'll hear arguments first this morning in number 75929, Estelle against Gamble. Estelle against Gamble. That's the Supreme Court case that set an important standard. I called up Walter Olson. Hello. He's a senior fellow with the libertarian think tank, the Cato Institute. Uh, in 1976, in a case called Estelle versus Gamble, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled for the first time that there was a constitutional right uh, for prisoners to get necessary medical care. So the case involved a guy called J.W. Gamble. He was a Texas inmate who hurt his back while working for a prison. He said the prison didn't treat his medical needs and argued this was cruel and unusual punishment. And that's a violation of the Eighth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. I found tape of former Associate Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall announcing the opinion in this historic case. The Eighth Amendment's prohibition of cruel and unusual punishment requires that prisoners be provided with medical care and that deliberate indifference by prison personnel to a prisoner's serious illness or injury violates the Eighth Amendment. Did you catch that phrase we called out earlier? Deliberate indifference. In other words, inmates have to prove that a prison knows they need medical care and still won't provide it. On the other hand, if a doctor makes a mistake and doesn't realize a prisoner needs surgery when they actually do, that's not deliberate indifference. And Walter Olson says there's something else that's important in that 1976 Supreme Court decision, especially for Adri's case now. If there's a reasonable difference among medical specialists in how to treat a case, then it can't really be deliberate indifference if you're just choosing one legitimate ther therapeutic route rather than a different legitimate route. So there's a high bar for deliberate indifference. Adri Edmo has to prove that there's consensus among medical experts that she needs gender confirmation surgery and that prison health care providers knowingly denied her that treatment. There's no question that Adri has gender dysphoria. Healthcare providers diagnosed her with it seven years ago. Lori Rifkin is Adri's lead attorney. There's no dispute about whether she identifies as a woman, and there's also no dispute that she continues to experience such a high degree of clinically significant stress now that she has reoccurring thoughts of castration every single day. The question is, how should she be treated? Deborah Ferguson is another attorney for Adri. There are many individuals with gender dysphoria that do not require the surgery, but in more severe cases, like Ms. Edmos, the surgery is medically necessary. So what's the state's policy? Wally Campbell is the chief psychologist for the Department of Correction. There's a part in the policy that says it won't be considered unless uh, deemed medically necessary by a medical doctor, I think is what it says. 
Campbell says the prison follows international standards of care when deciding these cases. But in Adri's case, the state said she did not meet two important criteria. First, a patient has to live for at least a year in their desired gender. A trans woman would dress in women's clothes, come out at work, and experience a whole range of stressors as a woman. It's sort of a litmus test to make sure you're really ready for the surgery. The prison psychiatrist says living as a woman in prison is different than in the community, so Adri doesn't meet that criteria. Here's Adri's attorney Deborah Ferguson's response to that. I can't imagine a more difficult place to be a trans woman than in an all-male facility. Um, so I think it, it really speaks to her commitment and the medical necessity of the surgery. The second criteria the state claims Adri doesn't meet involves her mental health. Patients can only be approved for sex reassignment surgery if all significant mental health concerns are well controlled. The state argues that Adri's depression and anxiety mean she's not stable, and it points to her two attempts at self-castration as evidence of that instability. It also claims that Adri hasn't been cooperative about counseling and mental health treatment. Adri's lawyers couldn't disagree more. They say Adri's depression and anxiety are made worse by her gender dysphoria and lack of adequate treatment. They brought in experts that say her self-castration attempts are a clear sign that she needs the procedure. What the experts determine is that that means that sufficient treatment is not being provided because it's not fully addressing or adequately addressing the clinically significant distress she's experiencing. But state witnesses argue the opposite. Remember what Walter Olson said about different doctors having different opinions? That's at play here. You know, it may seem like an objective thing to figure out what are someone's medical needs, and then you try to put that into effect. And as you know, if you ask five different health insurance plans, uh, what is medically necessary care, you'll get five different answers. And that's the key to the state's case. This is just a difference in medical judgment. But the federal district judge didn't buy it. In December 2018, the lower court rules in Adri's favor. Judge B. Lynn Windmill says the state's witnesses lack experience treating people with gender dysphoria. He writes that the defendants refused Adri the surgery with full awareness of her circumstances. Here's part of Judge Windmill's ruling. You'll notice that phrase again that keeps coming up. Quote, IDOC and Corizon have ignored generally accepted medical standards for the treatment of gender dysphoria. This constitutes deliberate indifference to Ms. Edmo's serious medical needs and violates her rights under the Eighth Amendment to the United States Constitution. Even so, as we now know, just a month later, Governor Little appeals the ruling. With the appeal, Adri's case starts getting a lot more attention. Before then, it had pretty much been under the radar. Adri's lawyers were certainly not flaunting the fact that they were fighting for a transgender inmate in conservative Idaho to receive gender confirmation surgery. There might be a reason for that, and here's what I think it is. There's a pretty big gap between the legal and medical arguments of the case and public perception. But I don't think that our um, tax dollars should go towards that surgery. There's so many people that need health care uh, for simple things just to stay healthy. This is ridiculous. I may feel like a thin person inside, but I don't think the state should be paying for lipo if I went into prison. I can't find a way to work my head around where the state should pay for this, in my mind, elective surgery. I think she can get it done on her own when she gets out. It's not 
proper use of our funds. When we reached out to the community to get their opinion of Adri's case, these types of reactions came up a lot. There was the odd positive response. Transgender individuals have higher rates of depression and suicide than the general population, so it truly is or can be a matter of life or death. But it was mostly negative. An online petition against providing the surgery collected thousands of signatures. Idaho Governor Brad Little questioned whether the surgery is medically necessary or elective. And to just uh, capitulate uh, was not what I, I wanted to do, what I believe the state of Idaho was to do. And you may remember earlier on, we said we'd fact-check the governor's other statement about taxpayer dollars and insurance coverage of gender confirmation surgery. Well, let's dig in on that now. First, the price tag. The surgery itself could cost between twenty dollars and $30,000. To understand how the cost of Adri's surgery would be covered, you need to understand the state's contract with Corizon, the private healthcare contractor. Here's how it works. Idaho pays the company a set amount. Right now, it's a bit more than 17 bucks per inmate per day. And that covers everything, from insulin to treat diabetes to an emergency appendectomy. What this means is the state won't have to shell out extra dollars to pay for Adri's surgery. Of course, Corizon could amend its contract, which is always possible. And that other thing the governor said, that individual insurance doesn't cover the surgery, not true. A growing number of providers are doing just that. This expanding coverage reflects where the medical community now stands. There is consensus that gender confirmation surgery is a necessary medical procedure to treat severe cases of gender dysphoria. Still, that consensus hasn't necessarily permeated the public consciousness. Complicating things further, though, is Adri's original offense. Last month, a judge gave Idaho Department of Correction six months to give that surgery to Adri Edmo. Edmo is serving three to ten years in a men's prison south of Boise for sexual abuse of a child under 16. We already described Adri's crime in the first episode, sexual abuse of a 15-year-old when she was 22 herself. So we're not going to get into that again. But we did want to touch on the particular distaste that exists for sex offenders and whether that's relevant. I'm going to let Adri's lead attorney, Lori Rifkin, respond to that. It doesn't matter what someone is incarcerated for. Being denied medically necessary care isn't part of that punishment. So in that respect, it doesn't make a difference to me. What their conviction offense is, what matters to me, is that they have rights and they're human beings and they deserve to be treated as such. There's a lot of judgment and assumption floating around about Adri Edmo, and that complicates this story. But really, public opinion isn't relevant to whether Adri wins or loses. At the end of the day, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals is going to decide Adri's fate on the merits of her case. Morning. Welcome to the Ninth Circuit. You may be seated. So at this point, I had been following Adri's story for months and decided it was important to be there for oral arguments before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco. Had you ever been there before? No, it was my first time. It's this grandiose courtroom with marble columns, stained glass skylights, with statues of Lady Justice along the wall. For this hearing, there's a panel of three judges. These three judges will decide Adri's case. They'll either agree with Judge Windmill that she should get this life-changing surgery, or they'll overturn his decision. Okay, and how does it work? Is this like a whole new hearing? No, these judges are weighing the same body of evidence and witness statements and arguments that Judge Windmill considered in Idaho. 
Each side gets just 20 minutes to argue before the court. Just a handful of people sit on the audience benches. Three of Adri's seven lawyers, yes, seven attorneys, sit on the right. And if you're wondering how those attorneys are paid, if Adri wins her broader case, there'll be punitive and compensatory damages. Corizon and the Idaho Department of Correction are each represented by two attorneys, and they're on the left. The state's attorney, Brady Hall, goes first. Good morning, Your Honors. Good morning. May it please the court. And he starts off talking about how Adri's suit against the Idaho Department of Correction and Corizon names specific people in her claim of deliberate indifference. Uh, my clients, Your Honor, they're real people. They're compassionate people. They're not corporations. They're not uh, the Department of Corrections. They're hardworking civil servants, and they have very complex and stressful jobs. They are prison officials, but they are not medical doctors. They do not have medical training. Brady Hall says it's a big deal to say these state employees were acting with deliberate indifference. That's a high standard to meet. That is tantamount to criminal recklessness. One of the judges follows up on that. Judge Robert Lasnick asks Adri's lead attorney, Lori Rifkin, about it specifically. What about the fact that some of these state officials in, in Idaho don't seem to have been operating with any evil intent. Lori Rifkin is quick to point out that they were named in their official roles. Sued in their official capacity. Right, and they're used to that. They get sued all the time. But this one, you know, has very specific allegations about um, what they didn't do in providing medical care uh, to, to an inmate that I think stings a little bit more. Don't you see that? Lori Rifkin says she does see that. It should sting because we represent a woman who has been denied treatment to the point that she tried to cut off her testicles twice. She tells the judges the defendants offered Adri no additional treatment after her self-castration attempts. Defendants can get up here and say that they were well-meaning, but we have here a person whose medical condition is being treated differently. If she were a cancer patient who had a tumor, who had had radiation and had chemotherapy, and that tumor was still growing and threatening her life, the Eighth Amendment, we would all agree, would not permit defendants to deny her surgery even if they professed to be well-meaning about it. Corizon's attorney, Dylan Eaton, returned to the core arguments of the case that according to the doctor who assessed Adri, she didn't meet the criteria for surgery. He had issues with her not complying with her uh, recommended counseling and that it was necessary to have her stable and be able be in a position to cope with this irreversible, life-changing, life um, uh, permanent surgery that was being considered. That's, that's medical judgment in and of itself. That's the heart of medical judgment. The treating doc needs to be able to make those decisions. It's interesting how the concerns we've heard from Governor Little's office and folks in the public, things like whether tax dollars should pay for Adri's surgery or even just questions of how much it costs, those things really didn't come up at all during the Ninth Circuit hearing. Right, which really gets to the point we talked about earlier. The public opinion doesn't necessarily have anything to do with whether denying the surgery is cruel and unusual punishment. So does it seem like the panel of judges was leaning one way or another with that hearing? It's hard to tell. They asked a few tough questions that could be interpreted in a number of ways. Judge Margaret McEwen ended the hearing noting that they'd need time to really study the details of the case. So thank you all for your argument this morning. The case just argued of Edmo versus Idaho is submitted and we're adjourned for the morning.
So what does it mean if Adri wins her case? It means she'd get the surgery, and then she would be transferred to a women's prison. And as we've mentioned, a ruling in her favor could have implications outside of her case. I spoke to Courtney Joslin. She's a law professor at UC Davis. She says the case could be precedent-setting, at least in nine states in the West. It would be binding on all the district courts in the Ninth Circuit, and it certainly would be persuasive to courts in other parts of the country. But she also emphasized that doesn't mean prisons would have to offer the surgery to all trans inmates. It would just mean that they would have to provide it for every transgender inmate for whom gender confirmation surgery is medically necessary. Okay, and what about the Supreme Court? Could this case end up there? It could go that far, but it's really only likely if Adri wins. That's because two other appeals courts have ruled against providing the surgery for inmates in similar cases. When there's a split in the circuit courts, it's much more likely the Supreme Court could weigh in. So for now, we wait. We wait for a decision that will, of course, be a huge deal for Adri Edmo. And we wait for a decision that could affect transgender inmates with severe gender dysphoria across the West and maybe even across the country. Our next full episode will drop when there's a ruling in Adri's case. Stay tuned and be sure to refresh your podcast feed. Whenever the Ninth Circuit issues its decision, we'll be here to break it down. In the meantime, we want to hear your questions about Adri's case or anything else we've touched on here. Write us an email or record a voice memo and send it to us at lockedpod at gmail.com. This episode of Locked was reported and produced by me, Amanda Peacher. And me, Frankie Barnhill. You can find us on Twitter at Amanda Peacher and at F.A. Barnhill. Our team also includes writer and producer Lacey Daly and reporter James Dawson. Our managing editor is Kate Kincannon with the Mountain West News Bureau. We had mixing help from Andrew Fisher. Tom Michael is Boise State Public Radio's general manager. Special thanks to our colleagues Heath Drusen and Shalane Lippincott. Huge thanks to Professor Michael Mushlin, law professor at the Elizabeth Hobbs School of Law at Pace University. Mary Lou Holmes and Amanda Egland helped with transcriptions. Our theme music is by Boise musician Up Is The Down Is The. This podcast is a production of Boise State Public Radio and the Mountain West News Bureau. Learn more at boisestatepublicradio.org. 